following program was made possible by Ward's lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Every now and then when I'm producing this show, I hit a really busy day. And, and that's what happened last week. I had two interviews in one day with a very short break in between. And I used that break to visit my now also favorite pharmacist, Ellen on Kent Street. And then I picked up the mattress I bought about a three minute walk from there. And then another three minute walk to pick up some produce. I still had some time before my next meeting. So I decided to head to a park. And that's when I realized I was within a five minute drive to so, so many parks. I ended up at Nayoro Park, which yes, I, I've, I've been practicing saying that many times. And when I got there, in three minutes. I, I thought about making some calls, maybe even reading. And if I'm being honest, I even considered watching something on my phone. But instead, I just sat and listened and watched and smelled the plants and the grass. I hit pause. I did this. I could do this only mere minutes away from where I just run errands in a busy downtown. How cool is that? And I'd say it's very cool. Hey, how are you? Denny Grignell here, back in my home studio on the Cheese Factory Road. And yeah, kind of rejuvenated from that short work respite in a local park. Welcome to episode 37. Today, a stand-up comic with a pandemic-inspired new philosophy about life and comedy. I did not know people paid people to do comedy. So I really enjoy, maybe the therapeutic aspect of it that you get to speak to a room of strangers. I think the hilarity in it for me is how we're going to get back on our feet. You know what I mean? Gilson Lubin comes to the Grove Theatre in Fenland Falls this coming Thursday, but we talk to him in about 20 minutes or so. Composting is free, and now so is a backyard composter. But how, Denis? Well, we'll get to that later, too. Women's resources may have a few empty beds available from time to time, but that certainly doesn't mean there's no need out there. We'll tell you why. Thanks for being with us. And by us, I mean The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. of planting you call it a carpet bedding scheme and it's a very sort of old-fashioned method of gardening that's high intensity and it takes a lot of effort to you know make shapes and letters and words and and logos and things like that that is our horticulturalist neighbors megan phillips she's held that position for a number of years now with the city of kawartha lakes responsible for pretty much any plant or flower that grows in any of the many, many parks that we have, including the one there that I mentioned off the top. This is a full-time gig involving a crew that Megan grooms and steers each year, and uh, she is no hands-off leader. It's a job, an artistic craft, really, that involves so much more than measuring soil, moisture, and, and pulling weeds. Now, take the huge flower bed in Memorial Park, for example. You've seen it from the road. It's that colorful creation right in front of the train. That's where I met Megan late last week. Usually they call it carpet bedding because it's low. Oh. Um, so it's a low carpet of plants that generally stay low. Now I do put some taller plants in the background, but that's just background. The, the spots where it has words or shapes or logos, that's all gonna be fairly short. So that I think is more where it 
the carpet comes into play. So they're short plants. Okay, and when yeah. I'm looking at the words here, it's, yes. uh, uh, I'm, I'm too close right now, so yes. I can't see. I see town. What's <laughs> yes. the full word? It says downtown. Downtown, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I know when I'm stenciling just on a poster or something, <laughs> sure. there, are, there are certain letters I just go, ugh, I'm not yeah. looking forward to that one. Yeah. Of these letters, and they all look perfect to me, but which ones do you go, okay? Uh, well, okay, and so we, um, I've done this many times over, and over time, I've learned tricks to make it more simple. And like you say, when you're standing on it, it's hard to actually see it. So, and that's where you've got to plant the flowers and work on it when you're standing on it. But really, truly, it's like you said before, you're viewing this garden from the road. So are you planting and then taking 20 paces back and you then would, looking? Yeah, and like if I was doing it freehand, yes. And that would take forever. So what we do is we have a graphic artist um, lay this out on a computer, blow it up to actual size. We print it actual size on paper. And then I transfer that to plywood and we cut the plywood stencil out with a jigsaw. And then we're able to like lay the design onto the garden and plant using my template. And it, it takes all the guesswork out of it. And especially because a lot of my labor is our students that maybe they're new, maybe they've never planted a flower before. And so I'm just trying to make it easy for everybody. I think a lot of people don't give it much thought of, of, of the planning and the process that goes into it. But usually we have this the idea for the next year's bedding scheme decided about November-ish and um, ordering the plants, that's what I do in the winter. So Are you I, just doodling on a pad in front of the TV during um, a, a, a movie or a hockey game or something? Or? <laughs> I, I get the idea wherever I get it. So yeah, it is a creative process. So it could be a doodle. It could be someone said something once and I think about that and like think about how to translate it into this. Um, so this particular design, it's to promote the downtown core because of the renovation that's happening in downtown Lindsay right now along the street. It is also the one garden in town that the precedent has been set. And so everybody expects this to be something. Whereas any of my other gardens, you know, they may or may not notice, but this one, everyone notices. So this is, you know, this is our showpiece. This is where it shines, like all the planning that we're doing. Let's go back to the artistry of it. When sure. I look at the color schemes and yes. stuff, how much, time are you putting into because I see something that's red there with the yes. gray or the white in the yes. middle yes. so take me through that process where you had to go okay this should be that color and that should be this color what I've discovered is like when you're relying on the flower color um, it's not very reliable because the flower may or may not be happening right at that moment and so change color I guess throughout the season won't they, they with fading um, and a little bit but what I focus on now more than anything is foliage color. So I think you're seeing the contrast in the plants because they don't have green leaves necessarily. Because that gray plant is the gray is the leaf. And same with the begonia there, it has a you know a scarlet colored leaf. Okay, let me walk, walk me then, over to that. I want to see that a bit more yeah. closely. This okay. Yeah, so the one thing you can do even in your home garden is instead of buying all plants that have green leaves on them, you buy some plants that have different color foliage. And it just helps everything contrast and stand out from, each plant stands out from the other because of the contrast of the leaf color. And it's a really important aspect of gardening that a lot of people don't think about. And so that's what I'm doing here, is a lot of different foliage color. So you've got the gold and the purple, and then I do have green plants. 
but I'm not relying solely on the flower for the color that I'm getting from it. I'm, I'm taking into account that that has green foliage and that has uh, you know, silver foliage. And so we're putting plants together with that in mind and it does a better job of standing out, especially at a distance. These are all just, you know, tricks that add up to this. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can draw a parallel between this and, and other art forms. Sure. Let's talk about uh, musicians. Musicians will often say, if they're singer-songwriters, they were a good guitar player but had to learn how to sing or songwrite. There are good songwriters who had to improve their playing and singing. This here, when I look at this, there's obviously a marriage between horticulture yes. and artistry. Yes. So which of those two was your strength, <laughs> if I may ask, and, well, and which was the other one you had to kind of work on? I didn't do things the easy way, <laughs> you know. Uh, so when I went to high school, I took both science and art and music and drama and, when I got to the end of high school, I actually wasn't really prepared to, to, for a university program because I didn't do one or the other. Um, and so I came to horticulture just because it, it ended up being a passion. I loved having my house plants and I loved trying to propagate them. And so I came to horticulture um, as an artist, I guess you could say, but I have, a, I have strengths in both areas. And I, this um, job and this horticulture and this project here has managed to meld the, them both for me which is nice because I you know I get to do the science of growing the plants but also the artistry of um, combining the colors and everything and I get to do that every single year and it's awesome and I can always make new gardens and new plants and new colors and try things and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and I get you know I get to know what works so when I see someone that has their camera out and they're taking pictures or they're pointing at plants in here, that, that really makes me happy. No, I mean, I'm flattered anytime we get a compliment, obviously. And I print them off and I show my crew because it isn't me alone doing this. It is me and a lot of other people. My name's Megan Phillips. I'm the horticulturist for the city of Kawartha Lakes. And you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. Our show is made possible because of the good people at Ward's Lawyers. They're the reason we have given you 37 episodes. Please subscribe to us for free on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Tell us what you think of the show and the stories you'd like us to explore. You can do that via our Facebook page and Twitter. And if you're looking for a lawyer, Carissa and Jason Ward and their team offer a wide, wide array of legal services. Find them at wardlegal.ca. Women's Resources, like all social agencies, was forced to implement strict pandemic protocols when offering refuge for women in need and in often their children. As an example, because rooms can't be shared between women of different households, the 18-bed shelter is now a 10-bed shelter. But despite this, the shelter is not always at capacity. But that doesn't mean there is a reduced need. Arguably, the pandemic has created a greater need. Bella Alderton is Program Director with Women's Resources. I met with her outside, just a short walk from the shelter. She explained that pre-COVID, all those barriers that women had to deal with, well, they still exist. 
But now there are some new barriers that often prevent women from escaping an unsafe environment. For the first several months of the pandemic, everybody was basically sent home. So that meant that any woman in an abusive situation is now spending 24-7 with her partner if they're, if they're co-residing. She also has the responsibility of her children. They're not going anywhere. She has no time out. She has no privacy to engage in a phone call, to make a plan, to look up things, to have conversations, to attend appointments. I mean, essentially, and I'm she sure... She can't you, sneak away to, to, no, set, to set up no, an appointment with you. No, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. And right away, overall, um, almost every single community and social service stopped delivering service in person. So the the privacy option that you have when you can actually go out and go to an appointment say you know whether you have have to answer for that appointment or not but you're out as opposed to you know being in a confined environment to be able to try to um, have a conversation with anybody of any sort it gets extremely limited so I can give you an example that when women have called our crisis line it is become far more common that they'll call they'll speak for a moment or two they'll get off the phone and then they might call back several hours later or several days later for another very brief conversation and then again. So when we're even looking at taking a woman into the shelter, those calls might take place over several days. It's at both ends. So I, I would imagine that it's about access and privacy for the women safely um, at, at one end. Being able to get away from the, Absolutely. The, the male and partner. in some cases they're saying, I don't have a phone or I don't have a phone of my own, so I'm at my neighbor's or, you know, they've got that sort of circumstance going on. At our end, um, in order to ensure that we were one of those facilities that could remain free of COVID, we have so many different new protocols in place that it's not simply the same manners it would have been before. If, if literally a woman walked up to the door of the shelter in times gone by and said, you know, I need safety, the process of start, of bringing her in would start right then and there. You could swing the doors open yeah, and come on in. absolutely. So that's not the case anymore because COVID screening, pro- COVID protocols, um, have you been tested? We don't allow any woman to come into the shelter that hasn't been tested. But I don't want to mislead you. We have the ability to get women to a safe place and then have a chance to evaluate what their situation is and ensure that they're not symptomatic and they're, you know, ostensibly COVID free before they and their kids come into the shelter. Probably also a lot of fears because, look, all the congregated living environments, all of the places that have made the news because they've had outbreaks of COVID. I'm sure there's a massive amount of fear out there about if I go, am I endangering myself? Am I endangering my children? And children under the age of 12 can't be vaccinated and you're going to put them into a shelter. So I'm sure that there's both internal restrictions and external restrictions. So there are literally women out there going, I got to get out of here, but I'm not sure the next place will be safe Any enough safer. for me and my kids. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do then to reach those people and convince them that, look, we, we can take care of you? So for the people we actually have contact with, because it's not as though, you know, so I mean, having this conversation with you today, I presume is a part of hoping to get the message out saying we provide as safe an environment as is possible in this in this day and age. We have tons of protocols in place to be able to make sure that you and your family are going to be okay. Um, we've invested a great deal in terms of you know restructuring what we do and how we do and 
Um, every individual or person is assigned their own, I can't say bathroom entirely, but I can say own toilet and so forth, their own room. Everything is packaged, everything is distant, all the staff are both masked and shielded and so on and so on. There's And everybody gets daily checks. We're trying to talk through any fears or concerns that they may have about that, also letting them know what they're getting into up front. And what's the reaction? Because when you went through that list, I'm going to guess you've done that a couple hundred times probably in the last 18 months. Oh, <laughs> that's why we've had a lot of, I'll call it sort of almost like partial admits. If a woman is in danger right then and there, our priority is to not talk about our COVID protocols, but to do whatever means we can to assist her to be able to leave at least to temporarily get to a safe place where then we send staff out to have a conversation with her, explore what her situation is, what her options are, and so forth, and then explain what it might mean to come into the shelter. And we ensure that they have a a safe location for a period of time if they want to look at other resources. We have found that a number of women, we've got them to a safe place. So I want you to know if anybody calls and they're at risk, we're going to take steps with them to make sure that they're not harmed if it's at all possible. And then we look at what are the next steps? What are the options? And so we've had a lot of women who have sort of partially stepped out and then they've looked at maybe there's more distant family or friends or we're putting, you know, putting them in some form of transport to go someplace else if that's what they need. For the person who's listening to this right now and they're living in a situation which isn't safe and they're teetering as to, you know, do I just make the best of it? I'd like to go somewhere safe. I'm not really sure that's possibility right now given everything what would you tell that person right now I'd say reach out call us and these days you can walk right in our resource center and say hey I'd like to talk to somebody or make an appointment somewhere out in the community or something have a conversation so we have a chance to see how we can help you to feel safer and be safer and look at what your next options are whatever it is that you decide to choose for yourself If you or someone you know would like to reach out to Women's Resources, you can find them at womenresources.ca or you can call one of these two numbers, 705-878-4285 or 705-878-3662 to speak with a counsellor. How difficult does it look? This comes off, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's where you put stuff in. This is locked versus vent. This is open. Hey, I didn't Lock even off. have to bleep out any of my words there as I was assembling my brand new backyard composter. With some help, who am I kidding? With the guidance of the best assembler in my home there. My brand new free composter. The city of Kortha Lakes has a limited number of these units available to residents. You just show up Wednesday morning at the Lindsay Ops landfill to pick up yours. Or if that's not possible, you can call the city and they can arrange something for you. Kerry Snoddy is the regulatory compliance officer with the city's waste management division. She joins me on the line now. 
Okay, Carrie, why offer these composters for free? We wanted to provide an incentive to residents to actually kind of take the plunge to try out backyard composting. The ultimate goal of that strategy is to increase waste diversion by to 70% in the city of Cortha Lakes. And so a good way to do that is reducing food waste because food waste can make up to 30 to 40 percent of the waste that people are setting out at the curb every week. Are you are you basing that just on on general uh, statistics or or had you looked specifically at Kawartha Lakes and, and come up with that number? A little bit of both so the general statistics that have been studied show about 30 to 40 percent and we've seen that consistently as well when we've done waste audits when we've actually kind of uh, picked up the waste rummaged through it and sorted it out into different categories. City of Corth Lakes is pretty in line with that average. Once you made the decision that, hey, composters are a great thing, let's offer these to the residents. I, I know when I buy something, uh, I'm checking flyers to see who has the best price, uh, who has the uh, the best ease of setup. So tell me about the comparative shopping when you when you actually set out to find one that best met the needs of the residents here. Right, we've always sold backyard composters We know some residents are hesitant, maybe with animals, or it could maybe be a little intimidating at first to try it out. So we wanted to provide an incentive. And so we came up with the idea of a giveaway to uh, kind of get a chance to talk to residents about backyard composting, provide incentives, promote it, educate the residents. And so we are giving away the same model of composter that we usually sell that we've been selling for a number of years that we've found residents like and it's effective and it's cost effective for the city to purchase them as well. Can I ask how much they are per unit? Uh, Per unit, it depends on how much you're purchasing. So the more you purchase, the less they cost. On average, it's around 30 30 to 35 dollars per unit but there is an argument that those who would go to the trouble of composting they they would also likely drop five ten even fifteen dollars to offset the cost of these so why did you decide to offer them for free versus just um, even a nominal fee we found that we don't sell a high number of composters every year even though we do offer them at a lower cost than competitive private retailers uh, around the city of Corth Lakes. So we thought we would try it out and we have seen uh, quite a large uptake in the amount of people that have picked up a free one versus people who have been buying them from year to year. We usually sell maybe 50 to 70 per year and we've given away almost 400 this year. We've been selling them for a number of years throughout the year all year residents can buy them anytime through the service centers and so we set a budget of 500 that we are hoping to give away this year and so we'll be giving them away every Wednesday at the landfill until we run out of um, composters essentially what number are you at right now if we're if, if anybody wants to rush out and make sure they get the, the one yeah. 500 we're almost to 400 so we have about 100 left to give away so how do you measure its success then in terms of diversion of waste when you're looking at all of these figures, like diversion of waste, how many you yeah. sold versus how many are, uh, are free? I'm sure you have a spreadsheet somewhere. For sure. So one way that we're hoping to measure it is every person who takes a free composter, we're taking their information. So uh, an email address or phone number, 
And then we're going to be sending out a survey later this year in the fall to get a sense from those people who have tried out backyard composting, how much waste were they able to reduce every week at the curb. Maybe they were setting out two bags a week. Maybe that went down to one and a half bags or one bag or maybe not at all. So we're really hoping to gather data that way. Maybe just finally here, Carrie, uh, let's say I'm asking for a friend. For that person who's maybe new to composting, maybe a little overwhelmed and intimidated by it, what would you Mm -hmm. tell that person to ease their or allay their fears? Asking for a friend, of course. Yes, of course. So we have lots of information available on our website, our waste management website on how to compost properly. We're also giving away an information sheet uh, for residents when they pick up their free composter just to help them get started. They can always call the city if they're having any trouble. I would say the main key tips that I can provide would be make sure your composter is in a very sunny area to get as most sun as possible. Make sure you're mixing your materials so there's a list of kind of green material which is more your food waste material and brown material which is more your drier kind of papery material. You want to have a good 50-50 mixture of both of those that you're putting in. Make sure you're turning your compost regularly, uh, maybe every two weeks or so. Yeah, and those that's essentially it. It's not as tricky as people think. <laughs> so I don't, I don't have to be a botanist, or my friend does not no. have to be a botanist of any, way, of any kind. No, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> This is Calvin Chan from Ward's Lawyers in Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. The Advocate Podcast is part of the Advocate Magazine and the Advocate Online, and it's 100% local media. In the August edition of the magazine, you'll find a column on our climate emergency, written by retired teacher and local activist Ginny Colling. Coming up, I speak with Gilson Lubin, one of the stand-ups performing this Thursday at the Grove Theatre in Femlin. But first, Gilson speaks to us via this set recorded before the world for stand-up comedians, and while everyone went topsy-turvy. Like, I've been here most of my life. I'm hearing about things I still haven't seen with my own two eyes. I don't know what's real. Like Bigfoot, is that a real thing? <laughs> Unicorns, black people with cottages. What's here? I just, I know they're out there. I'm just saying, I want to be invited. I didn't know what a cottage was till you invited me. I'm like, what's a cottage? Is that where you make the cheese? What's happening? I just know you get happy when you talk about the cottage. That is stand-up comedian Gilson Lubin. He will be joined by his comic colleagues, Simon Cotter and Scott Harris. This coming Thursday at the all-new Grove Theatre in Fenland Falls on its outdoor amphitheatre stage. Now, I can vouch for these performers, and I don't do that lightly, but I figure my, you know, 30-plus years making a living in that art form allows me the license to weigh in here with some legitimacy. So, yes, three very good polished stand-up comedians in a unique setting which I can tell you most stand-ups are embracing because, well, it's a stage in front of an audience, something stand-ups have not had a lot of lately. Gilson Lubin joins me on the line from his home in Toronto. Hey, Dennis, how are you doing? I'm well. Hey, thanks uh, Thanks for taking my call. Hey, man. It's Zero awesome. complaints, all blessings. In the past 18 months, this is what I found, that, that comedians... 
especially stand-up comedians, they fall into two camps. There are those that really appreciated the forced break from performing and they use that time to do other things. And then there's mm -hmm. the other camp that was just pining to go on stage and they would do anything to get on stage, any opportunity they could. So what camp would you say you're in? I'm group A. I was trying to catch my breath and uh, re-look at a couple of things, not a way to stop doing stand-up, but really to reposition my approach to it and catching your breath. You, you it's hard to, it's hard to, uh, it's easy to notice the world suddenly catching their breath now. And I'm not out here not sympathizing, you know what I mean? I'm out here realizing this is life and we're all in it together, you know? But I took a break uh, strategically uh, prior to this, you know? I took a break from auditioning, you know, I took a break from stand-up. Uh, because I worked really hard to uh, get to this point, which is the honest truth. I worked extremely hard, you know. I took time to stop some of the bad habits I picked up during stand-up. For example, smoking. And I've been um, not smoking now for almost 11 months, going on 12. Good for you, man. So I was finally able to break that. and So I was already on a break. And then when this hit, I wasn't saying it was good. Definitely not. I was in the middle of trying to write some new stuff. I had just released a, an album. So, you know, I was just out here with the grind, you know. Um, but I uh, definitely was on a break already, and I, I was not that I wasn't itching to get back into it. I wanted to get back into it with the right approach and the right attitude, you know, best we could. Personally, I love people, you know. I really enjoy people. The, some other branch of comedians enjoy the fame and the up and uh, <laughs> the fame and 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 and, and the excitement. Okay, um, Gilson, are you telling me you're not as interested in the fame as you would be in, you know, playing the uh... zero interest? Man, I'm ruthless. You can't always work in one path. I'm not. I'm not great enough as a corporate comic, and I'm not edgy enough as an edgy comic. So I better know how to do both. You know, <laughs> for myself. Well, hey, let's talk a little bit about the edginess because uh, you know, having watched your stuff, and I've certainly heard you for years. Uh, you take on sure. racism, uh, but you, when That's you right. do it, you, you seem to do it in a less let's say aggressive way than i've seen other comedians do it that that's not bad that's that's pretty good uh, uh you you've done stand-up and you appreciate wordplay and you appreciate for myself and my approach of comedy is to me it's always simplifying and trying to provide some kind of an answer not always because you cannot be preachy at the same time but with my silly technique i got into stand-up comedy because of the social commentary aspect so it lines up right with the line of that joke of of me, me uh, trying to take a, a bit of a heavy subject and simplify it. And one of the ways of simplifying, for example, in that subject was to bring it back to when we were kids. You know, it's a great neutralizer for the subject. When I was a kid, I thought a racist was just a very fast person. <laughs> you told me a racist, I was like, hey, good luck. <laughs> I think he could do it. It wasn't until I was in like grade 10, I remember asking my brother, how come that one kid is so angry? And he was the one who had to explain to me, it's because he's a racist. I was like, no, he's not that fast, I've seen him. <laughs> You'd argue with this guy and it never made sense. You're like, hey, don't you owe me some money? And his response is, go back to Africa. <laughs> What's that guy doing with my money? As a kid, that was so confusing because he made it seem like it was just that easy. And I can't just show up in Africa like, hey, I'm home. 
Harris is being a fast person is a perfect analogy of what right. we all likely considered, you know. Or the word bigotry, um, uh, which you likened to, how was that again, the big tree next door? Yes, yes, was the oak in front of my neighbor's house. That's bigotry. Uh, and, and I love play on words, you know. Um, I, I really love people, so I try to make them happy, you know, best I could. And some things are heavy. And on stage, as a so-called uh, comic of color or a so-called black comic, um, I, I want to make sure everyone's comfortable, and and to me, it's always tiptoeing bit by bit, but making sure that we cover all the all, all the all the all the elephants in the rooms. <laughs> so uh, while while you do so, just make sure you make sure they are okay and they understand your intentions, even subconsciously. Now I know in your act, uh, you mentioned you you joked about being the the polite Canadian, but explain to me why that's important to you that you want everybody to be comfortable when. When a lot of uh, uh, comedians out there are all about, you know, maybe not necessarily dividing the room, but creating a, a bit of controversy and and um, uh, and divisiveness. Why is it important to you that that they're all comfortable? Oh man, it's so important to me that they're comfortable because uh, for myself, it's, it's all about conversation. You know, if we're gonna see tomorrow uh, on the social aspect of it, it's all about conversation and open-ended co communication. You know, I, I want that when I walk off stage, I don't have to shift a gear and be out of character. Or, you know, I, I don't have to all of a sudden be less edgy. No, it's because I'm, I'm, I, my intention was already from the jump as a comedian uh, to try to communicate and be the same guy on stage as I am off stage. Hmm. Now we could get into a subject, but you know, my, my, you know which way I'm going to go with it is to make sure that we're both okay, you know, best I could. Well, as you know, as a comedian... Every room is like a conversation with anyone on the street. It could be a homeless guy or a judge or a queen or a police officer, but they're all capable of laughing, you know. We're all capable of having some kind of a communication. So, you know, you try to have that handshake that says, hey, how are you doing? Well, I can scratch off my next question, which was how different is, <laughs> how, how different is Gil, Gilson on stage versus Gilson off stage? You, you pretty much answered that. So let me ask you this question then. Uh, what makes Gilson off and I wish I could see your face looking at the question while I'm answering it. <laughs> I am actually. Well, I have to ask you then, if I can slightly massage that question, what does make Gilson on and off stage such a happy, buoyant person when, let's face it, a lot of, let's say, our peers are the angry, negative lot. Why are you not like that? Oh, my brother, you have to be blessed. I, I grew up in St. Lucia, Caribbean island, St. Lucia. Our, aside from export of bananas and some agricultural uh, items, our other industry was tourism. You know, but I was also raised in a community like St. Lucia where I wasn't waiting to celebrate the first black president. You know what I mean? I already grew up in that. So I did not, it always felt like a fly on the wall, you know, uh, coming to Canada, you know, I got to be a, uh, have that fly on the wall perspective. So I always had a reason to not just be in the middle of the problem, but have a chance to uh, analyze the situation. You know, I'm, uh, mm -hmm. so I really uh, was fortunate for at first not being born in the great melting pot that this is. It could be good but I get to be slightly less passive and slightly more honest with myself after I have made a stance of where, where I'm coming from. And I know where I am, you know, uh, who, uh, and where I'm from. I'm trying to appreciate every moment, you know, so it makes it easier. For example, you've heard the saying that life's not a, uh, a sprint. It's a, uh, finish the word. It's not a sprint. It's a what? Uh, it's a marathon. 
Exactly. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. But guess what? Not only is it not just a marathon, but there's no finish line. When you apply certain things to life, for example, if you have certain goals or a short goal or specific goals, when, when, when they're over, then what? But if you have not just goals, but forever ending ideas and, and, and running off the excitement off of uh, your tomorrows, then, then, then you, you're not shocked when, you're when, you, when you've hit that certain mark and you're not stunned or, or stuck, you know, so to speak. It doesn't mean I, I'm, I'm aware or any sharper or anything specifically more than the next comedian or next pair of hours. I'm just saying I, I really enjoy uh, my fortune. Stand-up is fun. You get to travel to all the smaller towns, which is most of uh, Canada. <laughs> you get out there, like, every day it's a new small town. And the thing, this is the one thing they all have in common, is, like, in the small towns, like, none of them want to admit that they live in a small town. If I have to get off the sidewalk because I see a skadoo coming at me, <laughs> that's a small town. The very funny Gilson Lubin, who will be performing along with fellow stand-ups Simon Cotter and Scott Harris at the Grove Theatre this Thursday. It's located in Fenland Falls, a small town with a new big-time outdoor entertainment venue. Before we wrap up episode 37, a big thanks to our creator of musical bridges and theme music, Gerald Van Haltren. And an extra big thank you to Ward's Lawyers, the official and exclusive sponsor of this program. If you need a lawyer, like I did recently for a contract, they have you covered, just like they had me covered. Find them at wardlegal.ca. The Advocate Podcast Stories from Kawartha Lakes is produced by me, Denis Grignon. Your neighbor. I don't live outside the area. I, I live right here, and I love living right here. Don't be part of the 19% people. Roll up your sleeves so that we can all roll on to better days. And we will get there. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.